welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. Um, we are steaming towards our winter auction, as some of you might have seen on our social channels. The artwork is coming in and it's looking, honestly, better than ever. Um, you can browse the artworks, if you don't believe me, on our website, artonapostcard.com. That are being updated as and when they come in. Um, we're currently at about 200 lots, I think, online, um, and there is many, many more to come. So it's that very exciting time for us um, when everything's starting to sort of come together and we're starting to see what kind of an auction and exhibition we're going to have. Um, I'm always amazed at how generous um the artists are with their donations you know giving up their time and their talent and their effort to produce really stunning artwork that represents the best of themselves as artists um and all to raise money for the hepatitis c trust um so one of those contributing artists i interview as some of you will know every week on one of these podcast episodes. So um, welcome if you are new to Art of the Podcast. Um, you've come at a brilliant time though, because today I will be interviewing the incredible Graham Fink on his work, motivations and fascinations within his art practice. Graham Fink is a multimedia artist and one of the world's most awarded creatives. He was recently chief creative officer at the advertising agency Ogilvy and Mather in China. Before taking up that appointment in April 2011, he was executive creative director at M&C in London. In 1995, he began directing television commercials and music videos at the Paul Whelan Film Company. He's won awards at Cannes, DNAD, One Show, BAFTA, Clio's, and many more. Um, in 2001, he created the Think Tank, which uh, was a conceptual production company, as well as the art school, um, which was dubbed Britain's most radical art school. Today, Graham works predominantly as an artist using multimedia and multiple body parts too, which <laughs> you'll hear about in this episode. Um, and we, as I said, chat about his drives, his fascinations as an artist. Um, and if you enjoy the episode, I urge you to go and take a look at Graham's work, grahamfink.com, and keep your eyes peeled for his beautiful watercolour postcards at artonapostcard.com. Give us your feedback. You know where we, you can find us on Instagram at artonapostcard, Facebook at artonapostcard, Twitter at artonapostcard. Um, and yeah, let us know what you think of today's episode. All the best and hope you enjoy. Hello, Graham. It's great to speak to you today. How are you doing? How have you been doing um, during this crazy time? Yeah, hi. Hi, Rosa. Um, good to talk to you too. Um, yeah, I'm doing well, actually. I'm in London today. I've spent most of lockdown in a friend's house in uh, Deal in, in Kent, which overlooks the sea. So um, it's actually been, been quite nice and away from the chaos of, of London. Um, but I'm up here this week um, doing a few, a few things. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, made the jump to moving to Hastings by the sea. So oh, um, right. I very much appreciate that as a, um, 
as a really special lucky thing um have you been able to keep up a daily practice um do you work kind of in quite a scheduled discipline way or how do you how do you normally like to work um yeah it's actually a very interesting question because i was trying to keep to a sort of routine because i thought that was that would be quite good but it um sort of got lost quite quickly into lockdown and um Yeah, then I had to sort of start changing things around. I, and I sort of felt I was doing less than I thought I should be doing. Um, I sort of have this interesting routine where I get up really early at um, like four o'clock. Actually, I get up at 3.55 a.m. because I think it sounds better than four o'clock. <laughs> but I get up at four. And um, a few years ago, I came across... Um, a very interesting fella called uh, Wim Hof, this Dutch guy, and um, they call him the Iceman. I think he holds 29 world records for sort of surviving in ice and, and extreme conditions. And he climbed Mount Everest and Mount Kilimanjaro in just a pair of shorts, and he doesn't feel the cold. And, um, and he does all these kind of breathing exercises and stuff. And as a, as a, when I was a kid, I used to sort of I used to be very good at swimming and I would sort of hold my breath underwater and I could sort of swim for about a minute underwater. And this kind of appealed to me and I thought I will get into get into this. Um, anyway, following these Wim Hof instructions and you sort of breathe in and out for 30 sort of deep breaths and then you exhale and then you hold your breath for as long as you can without forcing it. And you find actually, if, and this is done in a lying down position, um, I was holding my breath for two, three, four minutes, and which is kind of quite strange, but it does make you feel good. And um, actually, my record is six minutes and five seconds. Wow. Yeah. Um, so then you do, after these four rounds of breathing exercises, then you do like these physical exercises he shows you to do, and then you... Um, train yourself to jump into an ice cold shower for for 10 minutes and um so i used to do all this kind of stuff and it and it's a fantastic start to the day because it does make you feel really really energetic and it it's you know supposed to um really help the um immune system of course that, that's would be perfect right now and um and you and you feel really really clear headed too. So I have managed to do this in sort of different bouts where I've done it for like six months or nine months, and then I sort of drop out of it, and then I start it all over again. So during lockdown, I started doing this, and uh, I managed to sort of keep it up for a couple of months before it all went sort of haywire. And um, luckily, I've just started doing it actually again this 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 last week. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I am. I don't know too much about his work. I am aware of Wim Hof. And it's actually funny since moving to the sea, me and my partner have tried to do a thing where we get down to the sea every day and we at least kind of get our bodies into it at some point. And what we always say is we <laughs> kind of joking because neither of us really know the practice, you know, in the way that you do. But we kind of say channel Wim Hof and it's all about the out breath. And I don't know if that's is that kind of is that part is that am I right in saying that that's part of it that it's because when you obviously you 
and on an inhalation of breath, you're kind of storing a lot of tension and it's on the exhalation that you relax and you're, you're kind of less, uh, your skin's less prickly to the cold. Is that right? Yeah. And what is interesting is when you're doing these, when you are holding your breath, you actually do it on the exhale, which is the opposite way around to what you would, would think. Um, and it's surprising that you can hold your breath for, for so long on, a, on an exhale. Yeah, I mean, six minutes is really, really impressive. Wow. Um, I was really intrigued um, to learn about your daily practice, just because I know that you work in such a multidisciplinary way. Um, <clears throat> and this can obviously, you know, working across mediums in photography and painting and film, um, in animation, you know, all of the kinds of different, and even in technology, all of the different kinds of mediums that you use. Um, I can imagine, you know, it's not the same as waking up every day and heading to the canvas because you know that that's your medium. I was wondering, do you, um, have you ever felt the need or the, the pressure to define yourself as kind of working in one way in particular, or have you, you know, is every day a kind of throwing up a new medium potentially? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because um, there is this pressure. And I think not only do I feel, I feel it less these days, but I think everyone has it that when we are, you know, when we're born, we're sort of, and we, <clears throat> and we go to school, you end up sort of selecting um, the, the subjects that you're really good at. And then in your last sort of few years of school, you, you, you tend to specialize more and more um, in those things. And then when you leave school, you're supposed to be really good at something and you, and then you go to university or, or some kind of higher education to, to study that, that one thing. And that's always really bothered me. And when I was at school, I wasn't that good at a lot of things, but I was pretty good at music and I was pretty good at art. And oddly enough, I was pretty good at, at, at English. I think that got that from my mother's genes and she was, she was a very good sort of writer. And, um, and I thought when I went in, I, I, so I got into art school and what you and on a foundation course, you try a little bit of everything, right? You do photography and you do printmaking and you do, um, fashion and screen printing and, and, and then there's pottery and ceramics and sculpture and fine art and drawing and photography and animation and all these kind of different things. And then again, at the end of that year, you're supposed to specialize in the one thing and, and choose the college or university that you're going to go and then specialize in that for, for three years. And I think it's a real problem because um, I wanted to do all, all of the things. And my end of year show, I actually put up a, a bit of everything, um, photography and printmaking, etc. And and my tutors and the external tutor said, "Here is a, here's a guy that doesn't know what he wants to do." And I said, "No, I do know what I want to do. I want to do all of it." And they said, "Well, you can't. You know, you've got to specialize." And I think it's the problem that that we have. I mean, in, not just in this country where we are told, you know. It, it, Jack of all trades, master of none. And I think that's probably the worst line ever written because I think it, 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 it's like a conditioning that we're basically told that we can only ever get good at one thing. And I think, you know, human beings are incredible things. Just look at what we, what we can do and why is it that we're 
told to to specialize in one thing i mean i understand the need for specialization of of course i do and i'm not i'm not knocking that but i just think that it's good to be curious and to try things at all different times and so i eventually i chose graphic design because i just had to pick something and um i was very lucky on that course because i found someone who who talked about all these different mediums and and um and that and allowed me to do that so i did actually end up doing like bits of photography and painting and i've and i've kept all that up so as an artist um you know i'm a multimedia artist so i've i've had shows with photography and and with with technology and drawing and painting and and all, all sorts um and i continue to to explore that yeah yeah i mean it seems that one thing that um though it's cross mediums um just from reading about your work um and on your website etc it kind of one of the things that seems to tie it all together is is a thematic although it's not necessarily um the same medium thematically exploring ideas of the subconscious and creativity can you explain this and what draws you to this theme in your work yeah. um <clears throat> Funny enough, it's not an easy question to answer because when you you just intuitively do something, you you can't always rationalise it, and um, I think it's always quite difficult talking about your work and explaining your work. And you know, they always say you know artists should never sit and explain their work, but I think you know it it does fascinate me this this you know the the subconscious mind or the unconscious or the collective the collective conscious and all of these things because i i grew up sort of wondering you know who am i where what is my purpose in life what am i what am i doing here and i was brought up as a catholic and i used to go to church with my parents and the big problem was i i a lot of the stuff i was hearing it didn't it didn't ring true to me i thought there's something much much but in a way this is this is too limiting and um it really bothered me and i tried lots and lots of different you know i looked at lots of different religions and i looked at buddhism and i and i've always been very interested in spiritualism and and this and the self the real self and all these very big kind of questions that you know are, are kind of unanswerable because the mind is is limited and we can only use words again which is limited when we're talking about something that is much bigger than the mind so i think in my work you know i i do explore this thing i do explore the 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 unconscious i explore sort of randomness and and i and chance and i like things just to to sort of happen and um I've been doing a lot of drawings blind at the moment and um and that's quite interesting because you can't really sort of control you've got some control over it but of course you can't really see what you're doing and and this is where another thing that I have that, that bothers me is is why we're all told to be successful you know and what's wrong with failure and the great thing about doing drawings blind is, you know, you're going to fail pretty much most of the time because you can't see what you're doing. But in fact, once you lose those inhibitions and 
that preciousness of this drawing has to be great um, and what's its place in art history and all that kind of stuff. Once you can get out of all that, um, you, you find you produce much better work. And some of these blind drawings are, I think, really, really interesting. Of course, lots of them are, are terrible, but you've got a great excuse. <laughs> you can't see what... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a big subject and I could talk a lot about it. Um, but I think that's the reason why I'm always exploring it. Mm, yeah, it's very interesting, and and I, it does ring very true um, with me at the moment. I one of the things I do also is teach, and um, one of the hardest things to get through to students in a creative subject is to completely, you know, lose inhibition, like you're saying, and get to a point where you're not aiming for, you know, perfection or or going with that you know, the phrase, I can't do something. And, you know, so often what I try to do is lots of free writing, you know, stream of consciousness style writing, just that no one ever is going to read, but just to sort of, you know, like you're saying, it's almost quite similar to a blind drawing, just letting loose a little bit. I'm across that book about drawing on the right side of the brain. Um, no. Yeah, that's quite, quite interesting. It's because left brain is well. Uh, I'm not sure if this theory is still holding up. I'm now reading things that are saying actually it's not quite as clearly defined. The more they find out about it, but but very simply, I think the left left side of your brain is um, you know is is all the sort of rational stuff, and the right side is is sort of creativity. Um, and when we get up in the morning, there's lots of things that we just go into this routine and it's difficult to to break out of it. And therefore, the right side of the brain is where all the all the sort of creativity is. But the, I think the right side of the brain controls the left, the left side of the body, weirdly enough, and, and vice versa. So they say people who are left handed, um, you know, there's there's something a little bit, you know, special that they have my my dad is actually left-handed um and he's a very good artist um and it really annoys me that i'm right-handed i want to be left-handed so i do sometimes do a lot of this stuff with the left hand but it's like you're talking about that free writing and some of the exercises in this book are a lot about that just doing this free flowing stuff not even reading it back and i find that very interesting Mm, definitely. It's interesting hearing you talk about, um, you know, being right handed or left handed, because one of the things I was really keen to ask you about were your eye drawings, which, which of course, this doesn't um, kind of even play a part in, in these eye drawings, where you're literally drawing with your eyes. Um, how did that kind of project come about? What was it that interested you about that process? And um, where did you find this technology? So um, I was out working in China and um, I was out there for, for quite a long time, about six or seven years and, and came back a few years ago. Um, and it was when I was out there, I had the chance to explore this this idea I've had for a long time, actually since I went to art school. So when you're at art school, you're told to draw something in your in your in your drawing classes you know the model is in front of you or a vase of flowers or whatever it is and the teachers you know are saying 
it's all about the power of observation and it's about really, really looking. You know, you're not looking hard enough. Keep looking, keep looking. And I was looking as hard as I possibly could look. And then you start thinking, how can I even look harder? What do they mean? And I sort of got this idea, you know, if if it was possible to take the pencil out of my hand and, and put my eyeball in my hand, could I draw with my eyeball? Because what my eyes are seeing is so pure and that is perfect. But when that message goes up to the brain, down your arm, and then it's trying to control a, a paintbrush or a pen or a pencil, a piece of charcoal, whatever, something that's a long distance for it to travel. So I'm thinking I want to sort of cut out the middleman in a sense, cut out the arm. I just want to be able to draw purely. So I actually got in touch with, um, there's a Swedish company called Tobi, um, T-O-B-I-I, I think it is. And they work with people like Stephen Hawking and they make these eye trackers and, um, and they ha luckily they had um, some people in China, um, some technicians, and they came to me and I sat with them and we designed this piece of software that allows me to draw with my eyes. So how it works is I have a computer screen in front of me, which is blank. It's like a blank canvas, if you like. And underneath the screen is this little black bar with a camera lens in it and two infrared lights. And the... Um, the infrared lights shine into your eyes and the camera can see the reflection of that, of those glints, and it can work out where you're looking. And so the software we created meant that wherever I was looking, I mean, if you if I move my eyes around the screen, this little sort of dot, this cursor would, you know, follow it. Um, so once I pressed a, a start button, it started to draw a line. So... That was it. Wherever I looked, this line sort of followed and it was one continuous line. You know, people say, well, what if you make mistakes? Well, you can debate if there is such a thing as a mistake, um, but everything is in there. So some of these drawings might take, um, you know, 10 minutes. Some might take, actually, I drew a picture of Seattle with my eyes and that took three hours. And it was just like a nonstop drawing, a nonstop line. And... Um, yeah, that's that. That's what happens. Um, wow! Oh my goodness! It's just it's so it's really cool. It's really interesting, um, and um, I would really encourage lots of our listeners to go and look at them, and also um, to watch the video of you drawing one of these drawings. Um, I love what you said about um, cutting out the the middle the middleman of your arm, and I wonder is this the is this a similar kind of um exploration for you when you're using the mediums of either photography or film where it's literally about your eye kind of looking straight through the lens at what it is that you want to um record or film or shoot yeah i mean obviously it works in a different way but you know when i <clears throat> i'm very interested in this in this um this concept of uh, what's called pareidolia pareidolia is when you look at something like the moon and you and you see a face right or you look at clouds and you're and you're seeing animals or battlefields or whatever and you look at the embers of a fire and you see battlefields what i do i see battlefields and horses and riders and all sorts of stuff going on there and 
that is something that exists in the mind. It doesn't, obviously, it's not really there, but, but you know, we, we don't like chaos. So the brain tends to sort of try to make sense of, of chaos and, and, and find patterns in things. And so this sort of Paradolian um, world fascinates me. So whenever I walk down the street, I'm looking at the at concrete or paving stones or buildings or cracks in the walls, and I can see faces. And I started taking photographs of these like years ago, probably 20 years ago. And um, I built up this collection and they're always, they're always faces. And I had an exhibition of that work where I print the, I print the, um, the photographs onto slabs of marble. And the marble comes from the Greek island of Thassos because it's the purest, whitest marble on earth. It doesn't have any veins in it. And um, so that's what I do. And I, and I print these things. So again, when I'm looking through the camera, I, 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 I normally see these things on a wall and then I, I'll look through the camera and sort of frame them. But I think when I'm doing other types of photography, um, I kind of let the, the camera find stuff. It's, I've tried to sort of, obviously there is some control because I'm, physically picking up the camera and putting it to my eye and pointing it in a direction. But I try not to be too tight about it sometimes. And in fact, talking about blind drawings, I often shoot a lot of pictures blind too. Um, a lot of stuff. And again, a lot, lots of them are terrible, but you, you tend to get one or two shots that are really, really different and, and interesting. And it's the same with the eye drawings. You know, when I start draw, I mean, I draw faces which come out of my head. But when I first start this line, I don't really draw a face as such. I just really draw a line around on the screen and I wait for a face to start to appear. And then after a bit, I think, oh, hang on, I can see an eye there, I can see a nose. And then I will go in and, and sort of build it up. So that theme runs through quite a lot of the, of the work. And mm -hmm. in fact, um, you know, this, I'm, I'm doing a lot of watercolors now and I, and again, I try to let the, I use lots and lots of water. Um, and I let the sort of water sort of run and, and sort of follow that. It's almost like the colors are on some kind of a journey. And I let them take that journey and, and see where they go. And I might just sort of help it here and there. I'm really excited about the watercolors because I know um, you will be, the, the art on a postcard, your generous donation to us is going to be watercolour um I'm curious is this a recent thing the watercolours or is this a medium that you've you know always used this type of paint I used to paint in watercolours as a, as, a, as a kid a lot um and then I haven't used it for for years but I was living in Seattle last year and um and it was getting up at this sort of 3.55 and after a and the cold shower and the exercises and and breathing and stuff um i would still what's great is you still you get all this sort of time to yourself before you have to go to work and um and i started doing these watercolors on a on a really really small um pad like um po po actually postcard size a6 and i just had some watercolors and i just started just randomly doing these things every morning and I could do like five or six before 
I would go into work. And so over like six or nine months, I had obviously quite a lot. And then I thought they would be really good if I could try and make them really, really big, like, you know, a a one size or like a meter, a meter and a half high, which, of course, is much, much more difficult to do. And it's much more difficult to to control it. Um, But again, that came with. With a lot of chance, because I was kind of painting with um, like the brush I'd sweep the floor with and (laughs) trying to find watercolor paint that that amount is is quite tricky because they make them in really small tubes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, so the the watercolors has really been sort of like the last year. And um, there's a virtual exhibition on now it's which is called the the zero experiment um the zero experiment.com and there's quite a lot of my work on that but you will see that i'm that i'm the 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 water is lots and lots of use of, of water right right wow they're so beautiful um i've really enjoyed taking a look at those as well um and i would also wanted to ask you so you you recently um, an art exhibition of yours was closed, sadly, um, due to COVID, a series of monotypes. Um, can you talk me through those and that particular exhibition? And will it be happening again? Yeah, I, I don't know if it will be happening, but I guess um, I guess it has to in some form. So, the, yeah, the monotypes, again, it comes out very much out of this idea of pareidolia. So I was in a... I was um, at some conference in um, Thailand, um, oh, probably three or four years ago, and um, I was a bit hungover. I was in the shower, and it was quite dark in the shower. And as I'm having the shower, I'm noticing that the tiles um, have these. They're very, very dark tiles, and they've got this sort of marbling effect on them, and they. They looked to me, I started to see horses and riders and battlefields. And the more I looked at them, I, the more they sort of revealed themselves. So I went and got my camera and I photographed them all at high res, um, every, every tile and closing in on the tiles. And two nights later, I was flying back, um, you know, on, on this plane and I looked at these images and I added lots of sort of contrast and made them really dark. And they they actually really, really freaked me out because they were so clear, these these battlefields and stuff. And I thought, well, I could just exhibit these pictures, but I like the idea of of doing monotypes because not long before that, I'd seen an exhibition of um, Degas in um, in the Museum of Modern Art in New, in New York. And he had done these monotypes. And I really loved the the blackness and the the inkiness and the depth of them. And I thought maybe I could sort of transfer or draw them um, and and, and do monotypes of them. And um, so that's what I did. And I started doing them really, really small again, as I sort of learned the process. And then I, they got bigger and bigger. So I've been, it was something I've been working on for a couple of years to, to do these sort of battlefields. And I call it, 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 you know, the, the title is actually called In Transition because it was very much about 
there was lots of stuff going on in my life. I, I was sort of changing country. It was a different style for me um, and different types of work and all that kind of stuff. So in transition seemed to work because when you looked at the pictures, the pictures seemed to change in front of your eyes. So um, when I look at them, I can see these things in them. And other people tend to see similar things too, but they also notice something else. They would say, oh, look, I can see, you know, this particular thing here, or I can see a man in a, you know, with, with a with a bow and arrow fire shooting or something here, or I can see a horse here, and that's something that I probably hadn't noticed. And then someone else says, oh, no, 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 this, look, this is a load of cows lining up in a field, and, and look, that's a bear. And I like this idea of sort of, again, it's working with the, with the unconscious mind and and um, or subconscious and different people seeing different things, so it's it's got a life of its own, and yeah. So the exhibition was called In Transition, and it and I was very excited because it was on for almost two months. It's in um, in London in in Marylebone Place, and um, and it opened and there were, we had a fantastic opening night and I sold a piece of work and there were like 250 people came. And then two weeks later, you know, COVID comes in in big time and everything's locked down and the gallery's closed. And so actually the pictures are still in, in that gallery um, gathering dust. But I think what will happen is, yeah, I will go and collect them at some point and maybe try and have that exhibition or uh, a, a maybe because I've got some more of them now, um, a different version of it, maybe later next year, once we've got the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I really, really hope. Um, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure um, the exhibition will happen um, very soon in the future. Um, and I will certainly be the first one down there taking a look. Um, it sounds incredible. Um, thank you so much, Graham, for giving some time up today to have a chat. Um, it's been super interesting and um, I'm really looking forward to having you in the art on a postcard auction coming up. Great. Well, thank you very much and thanks for listening and hope it was interesting. And um, yeah, look, the art on a postcard thing is very exciting and I'm sure that'll be another big success. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, thanks very much, Graham. You take care um, and best of luck with everything. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!